Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Hello, and welcome to the Public Relations Review and to our listeners in the United States and around the world. Now, today's program is based on an article that happened to be in the compro.biz newsletter. So, question. How would your organization like to gain a competitive advantage with a specific market segment? This group has nearly 8 million individuals. Now, that's just behind the population of New York City, which is around 8.5 million, and almost twice as many as uh, that inhabit Los Angeles at uh, 3.9 million. Now, of course, these individuals are spread across the United States. So just who are these consistent consumers often overlooked by marketers? Well, this market segment are blind people. So why should companies target them? And how do companies go about creating that competitive advantage? Well, my guest today can provide the answer to these important questions and more. So let me introduce uh, <coughs> co-authors of the article. And joining me today are David, and let me make sure I produce, uh, pronounce this right. Is it Hagenbuch? Uh We pronounce it Hagenboo, but that's fine, Peter. David Hagenboo is professor of marketing at Messiah College in Mechanicsville, uh, Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. And also Jason Polanski, who was with Microsoft, and Jason has been blind since birth. So, David and Jason, the floor is open for you to answer these important questions for our listeners. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Um, I, probably the first thing that uh, I would mention as someone that's taught marketing for about 20 years now is we often uh, have people who think of marketing in pretty narrow sorts of ways. And most people, when they think of marketing, they tend to think of advertising or selling, um, marketing promotion, in other words, and they don't often think of all the other areas of marketing that, that really are important to an organization, um, the, the other P's of the four P's. Um, we talk about product, place, promotion, and price, and promotion is just a fourth of that. And oftentimes, also with promotion, when people are looking at that, they tend to think of visual types of things. Um, particularly when you think of branding, probably the first thing that comes to people's mind with branding is a logo or um, a graphic icon. And uh, those certainly are, are important to an organization. But um, one of the things that um, I've realized over the years as a marketer, both as a practitioner and also someone who teaches marketing, that there's a lot more to uh, a brand than just what we can see visually. Um, there are smells, there are um, textures uh, of products, um, there's the product itself and the service that surrounds the product. Um, all those things, uh, all the first things that I was mentioning, the visuals, um, as important as they might be to those of us that are sighted, um, they're not that important to people that, that obviously who can't see them. Um, so that's where it, it becomes even more important for those that are marketing to blind consumers to take into account the non-visual aspects of a brand and the uh, tactics that involve non-visual types of things. Um, Jason and I wrote this article 
we we identified um, three other strategies that organizations can rely on that go beyond the visual types of strategies. So those are uh, touch strategies, sound strategies, and smell strategies. Yeah, and um, we kind of tried to unpack um, from examples that we've that we've run across, and and certainly Jason. Um, uh, as a blind consumer has experienced firsthand. And um, uh, Jason, is there uh, one of those that you want to start off with, examples that uh, you've seen from any of the three, the touch, the smell, mm. or the yeah. sound strategies? Yeah, I would say um, start out, I'd say one of the, uh, one of the smell strategies that, uh, kind of comes to mind is how a lot of times when you go into a certain place, when you, you know, walk into a certain store, etc., uh, you, you can kind of tell what it is by how it smells, right? So, you know, clothing stores have their own unique odor, uh, you know, restaurants, certain types of restaurants, you can kind of have their own unique odor, and oftentimes, uh, as we noted in the article, uh, Businesses sometimes have uh, smells that are ne aren't uh, necessarily the most appealing. Uh, for example, in an Uber with like the sharing economy, an Uber or Lyft or public transit, uh, sometimes you might smell uh, cigarette smoke, and that's you know kind of a turnoff. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't really want to be riding in an Uber uh, where I smell cigarette smoke, and it you know reaping really strong, right? And especially uh, this is, affects blind people more because Uber is oftentimes, you know, kind of how we get around if we don't have access to other forms of transportation. You know, we're more likely to, we're a demographic that Uber uh, definitely, uh, you know, we're more prevalent. So, you know, one of target, one of their target uh, demographics of people with disabilities. Uh, so it's definitely something that, you know, to be mindful of. Just, just out of curiosity, right quick, have you approached uh, Uber and or Lyft about this particular issue? I personally have not, but that's not a bad idea. Uh, I might, might have to find a way to do that. Well, it certainly does make sense because, as you mentioned, tobacco smoking, I would imagine, first of all, a lot of public transportation, depending upon what that is, do prohibit smoking in their uh, cars. Obviously, it doesn't work on um, uh, public transportation, but it's uh, probably something that uh, Uber and uh, Lyft might find uh, worthwhile uh, hearing from you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the thing that's really interesting about smells is um, I've read, there's, and there's, there's been research that's been done that shows some of our strongest memories are connected to smells. And it's interesting, uh, sometimes you, you, you could be out doing something and all of a sudden you run across a smell that you might not have smelled for um, 10, 20 years and suddenly it takes you back and you can remember the specific location or place where that is. So it's really a powerful um, memory tool and it seems like a lot of companies don't use it to its full potential 
like on the one hand, there's the, the off-putting smells like we're talking about, and, and I can think of other ones too. There's there's a grocery store that um, I once in a while will visit, and as soon as I walk in that the door of that grocery store, there's a smell of of meat um, that is not pleasant. And for me, as a sighted person, um, I kind of get beyond it quickly because I can see the visuals and you know everything looks fine. But I can imagine for a blind consumer that might be even harder to get around. Um, but we're kind of also in our article looking at the positive aspects of how smell could be used more strategically. And, and kind of another theme too that we um, ran through our article um, is that even as these strategies can be helpful for targeting uh, a group that's often overlooked, like blind consumers who, who are a significant population, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, Peter, um, these strategies can also be helpful in gaining um, better traction or a brand loyalty from from all consumers. From all consumers. Right, because mm-hmm. the same things that, you know, appeal to blind consumers in terms of smell and sound and touch will also appeal to sighted consumers. And they're often strategies that are overlooked because the sighted, the visuals tend to be the low-hanging fruit that says, well, it's easy to to, to do something visually. Right. That's what people... kind of the go-to. Yeah, yeah, that's what people tend to think of. And they have to work a little harder um, to think of how to be effective with the the sound the touch and the the smell strategies but if they do it can re- they can really be points of differentiation simply because in a crowded market space you're looking as an organization to find any possible point of distinction you can and they they can be things that just other organizations aren't thinking about and aren't doing and can set yourself apart. Um, I, I don't know. Um, we have Annie Ann's pretzels around us. Do, do you have those in Nashville? I believe uh, are these the ones that are sold in the airports. Yeah, that's yeah, where I see most of them. Oh, like absolutely. That. I've I've seen. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I do like those. Uh, well, mine are the ones that I believe they coat in some form of sugar. Uh, that's warm and warm sugary things. I I do like those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they, of course, they, they have a food product, and in a certain sense, it's it's easier to um, work with smell when you're dealing with food, but um, I, I'm pretty sure that they um, do something extra to get that smell out and about in the various venues that that they're in, because it, it, it hits you almost as soon as you enter, um, you know, anywhere close to where the the pretzels are being sold, um, and it's a, that's a really appealing smell. Um, but even even organizations that don't have a smell per se, um, we, we talk in the article a little about a little bit about like an office supply store that might have a mild smell of like paper products or things like that that's not particularly strong or appealing. Well, a business like that could could pipe in an odor or have something that um, kind of replaces that smell that would also be a um, an appealing uh, branding factor for them and also a, a memory jog for consumers if they happen to come across that smell in another, um, another part of life. Just out of curiosity, have you tried to determine what the market size 
of the blind population is uh, nationally? How many dollars they represent as a as a purchasing for purchasing power? We haven't. No, um, we haven't looked at that beyond just the demographics the that you mentioned. Yeah, right. that you mentioned at the beginning. I mean, you would think that the the dollars spent would be comparable to the to the normal population um, or, or just to to sighted consumers I should say um, you know they're consuming the same things that everyone else is to to a large extent but you know there certainly would be some things that um, are strictly visual that wouldn't be but on the other hand probably other things that they'd be using more of like Jason mentioned Uber um, could certainly be so, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's a great question. Uh, I'd, I'd imagine that the dollars would be pretty comparable. Well, I, I brought that up simply because once you're approaching someone to encourage them to, to go after this particular market, uh, the entire context would include here's the market size and here's how much they spend, and here are ways to attract these people that perhaps you had not thought about in the past. Absolutely, right. yeah. Um, I mean, we're, we approached it from kind of um, a double-pronged perspective that it's our, our article, which, as you said, was shared in Compro and, um, of course, reaching a broad swath of organizations in that, um, probably most of whom wouldn't naturally think of targeting blind consumers specifically, partly because just the way they're dispersed through the general population um, so our, our strategy in the article was to think more of reasons that these organizations should want to use these strategies not simply to target blind consumers, but also because they'll be effective for the general population as well. Um, but yeah, there, there probably are some organizations that should look at them more specifically. Um, and we, we have run across some organizations that seem like, even if they're not um, doing it in um, an exclusive type of a way, they definitely are looking at um, consumers with specific disabilities as a discrete market. One example of that that you may have heard of, um, and this was in the news pretty much probably about a year ago, maybe a little bit less, where Starbucks in the Washington, D.C. area um, opened a, a new store that is for anybody to to shop in, but particularly for the deaf um, community. Yes, for the deaf community. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the reason for that was the school is situated within a few blocks of a school for the deaf, so it made sense given the concentration of deaf consumers near them to you know meet the wants and needs of that market. So they, they've done some really extraordinary things in that store that you can read about in the article. And I, I do a, a blog every other week, uh, mindfulmarketing.org, and I highlighted that store in the blog. Um, they have things um, that, you know, as a person who can hear, we wouldn't naturally think of um, that would be important, but things like reducing uh, ambient noise so that it doesn't distract from... Uh, them and and doing things to enhance the ordering um, uh, I'm sorry not the, the the ambient noise wouldn't be a problem for deaf people um, I'm 
doing things that would be helpful uh, visually, that things that we normally might hear, they would do things um, visually for deaf consumers that would compensate for the lack of hearing. Um, or, or actually, the ambient noise could be an issue for people who have partial hearing. So I, I guess I, I should... I should maintain that 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 is helpful as well. Well, let me let me just add. I'm originally Washington D.C. is my hometown, and I know specifically it, it's Gallaudet College that uh, that that you're referring to. And uh, yeah. yes, they've been there for years. Matter of fact, believe it or not, Gallaudet. At least when I was there, they had a football team, and uh, so the, there was a big bass drum that sort of gave the beat to help them. I guess is to make the calls. But another thing that I was also aware of was that uh, several years ago, I actually wrote an article about um, disabilities and how companies were trying to appeal to people. And one of the things I noted in that article was uh, one of the banks, the national banks, had to redo, if you will, reconfigure, particularly their outdoor ATM machines. They had to redo that simply because the disabled people in wheelchairs the wheels would bump up against the wall at some point, so they couldn't quite get to the ATMs to to maneuver them, you know, to to make them fully functional. So they did this. They've got a great big, a lot of exposure in uh, in the national newspapers about that, and really it uh, it appealed to uh, you know just the public at large that they thought to do this. And then Walmart, not long after that, maybe a few years ago, were actually featuring. Uh, folks in wheelchairs and some of their clothing ads, newspaper ads. So those kinds of things, I think companies realize that there are those markets there and they're doing things to attract people in that market segment into the into the stores for all practical purposes. Yes, definitely. And I think I was reading something recently that I think Target's going to have uh, Halloween costumes uh, kind of designed for uh, people who use wheelchairs. Yeah, the other the other thing that that made me just think of is um, probably organizations often don't take the time to realize that um, like like any person um, most of us are part of some kind of a of a group or a family or something like that. So if one person in that that unit that household that family is excluded, that could mean excluding the whole family. The whole family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think of a restaurant, and if it's not accessible to someone in a wheelchair or um, not good for someone who can't see or hear or whatever the reason is, then the family, the whole family, will probably choose not to go there. So I, I think organizations, um, obviously, they're they're looking, um, companies are looking after their bottom lines, which they need to do, but um, they're smart and. And realizing that these strategies are win-wins, um, they're making themselves more accessible in a variety of ways, but they're also helping their bottom lines at the same time because it's not just the the individual with, who has a disability who they're excluding, but it's potentially all their friends and family and and others too who are just concerned and and want to support organizations that are proactive and that are trying to do things to make themselves um, um, you know, more accommodating for everyone. Well, you know, I, I certainly agree with you, and this is why I was thinking that somewhere there, there's maybe a National Grocery Manufacturers Association or others 
that uh, you guys might want to pitch um, giving a presentation to them because, well, as you know, being in the in the uh, college, you know, being a college professor, there are organizations where they have called for papers. So maybe at some of these organizations that professional organizations that represent grocery stores or car manufacturers or whatever they are, you know, you might pitch them on presenting this paper to them and, and letting them hear how introducing these particular strategies could add to the number of uh, unsighted people that they can bring into their shops. Yeah, I, I, that, yeah, that's a great suggestion. I appreciate you mentioning that. That just remind me, as you're talking about grocery stores, I think part of the challenge is, and, and I certainly don't want to suggest that this is happening all the time, because um, I'm sure it's not, but there's probably plenty of cases where it's people who are designing the, the strategies um, for any of these areas of marketing that we've talked about who are not necessarily ones that have firsthand experience um, with the challenges that we're talking about, and they would be well served to bring more people on who have experienced them firsthand, not just as consumers, but also like Jason, who who has the benefit of both. I mean, he he has has uh, been a blind consumer all of his life, but also has a business and marketing education. Um, but yeah, but all of that reminds me of the story you, you told me recently, Jason, about your experience grocery shopping online. Yeah. You, you should tell that story now. Yeah, so um, I do my grocery, my grocery shopping through an app called Shipped. Uh, you know, you may have heard of it. Um, uses, they, you know, they're connected with the local grocery store um, where I'm living right now. And I one of my favorite things uh, to have one of my favorite fruits, I should say, to have uh, with my breakfast is fresh pineapple. I'm kind of, I, I just really, I like, I like my fresh pineapple. And, well, I went to, on the app to look for it. And usually when I get it, you know, I, look, granted, I just moved into apartment a couple weeks ago. And, you know, so when I was you know, living at home and what have you, you know, I, parents would do, you know, most of the grocery shopping. I mean, I'd kind of let them know. What I wanted, but and I'd done you know grocery shopping on my own before, but I don't know if I had like bought that on my own before, um, or I had bought it like gone to the store and used the personal shopper and bought it. But I think that was, this was the first time that I had tried to order it online, right? And uh, usually when I get it, it's you know the pineapple. It's in a plastic container with a lid on it. You know it's um, already cored, and it's. I mean, I, I still cut it up into pieces, but it doesn't have the stem or, you know, the roots or anything on it. It's already, already cored, you know, skin taken off everything. Well, this time when I, the shipped uh, driver arrived and, you know, I got off, we started to put my groceries away. I realized that I felt something in a bag and I felt something with roots hanging off of it and I was like hmm what is this and I felt the shape of it and I was like oh is this my pineapple and like I had never and kind of glad that it happened this way because I had never seen or felt a pineapple that had never been that you know wasn't cored in its original form uh, so 
I had the experience of, um, you know, seeing what a pineapple looks like before it's uh, prepared in the way that I'm uh, used to used to having it, uh, right? So I, you know, felt the, you know, all the roots coming off of it, and the kind of felt like, you know, rather some long leaves and like, you know, the kind of the. I understand, I guess, why it's called a pineapple, because the skin around it felt, you know, kind of, it almost felt like a tree, you know, and I kind of had, I had that experience, and yeah, so I had never had that experience before. Uh, yeah. So it just, it just made me wonder when he told me that story, if there was something um, on the website that they're relying on. There wasn't on... really a description that, that was, you know, thorough that said that it wasn't cord, um, and next time, maybe I'll have to try to do a better search and type yeah. in, you know, cord pineapple or see what I see what I can yeah. find. Well, chances are the the website was relying on the visual, which is fine for people who are sighted, but for someone that can't see that it's a whole pineapple, that doesn't help them. Um, and and even if there was alternate text or something, it it probably just said pineapple. <laughs> yeah. And so you wouldn't necessarily know that. So yeah. So that that's just an example. I thought that was really. Um, you know, in keeping with what we're talking about. Well, you know, it, that that example is it's is pretty common in other areas because advertisers do it as a whole. Because unfortunately, a lot of times the larger advertising agencies who do particularly in, uh, either citywide or, or statewide or nationally, they don't have an inclusive staff. That is part of the problem. So you run across people. You have people trying to plan something that has a you know cultural that's completely different from theirs. Some physical experiences that they have never had before. Trying to plan things, and you've probably run into them uh, or heard about them. Um, give you an example. This was uh, several some years ago when they were having, um, I believe it was Super Bowl uh, Super Bowl in Detroit. And they had no Motown music there. I said, what? <laughs> so the wheels would begin to come off of that because how can you go into a town that's known for music across and around the world and have no, no members from that particular community performing at Super Bowl? So those kinds of things have happened uh, any number of times. Or you... Or you've got a bunch of folks planning for an event that includes his that that's intended to include Hispanic people, but there's nobody Hispanic at the table. So I certainly understand where the, what the problem is, and this sounds to me as though you know you it gives you a platform to to talk about how to get more organization to engage in making sure well we talk about inclus inclusivity and diversity as as a whole that would uh, include everybody to make sure that those kinds of mistakes aren't made. Yeah, right. absolutely. I think you're, you're, you're right on top of it in terms of it's a broader, it's a broader issue even um, beyond disabilities. It's uh, culture, um, language, uh, part of which part of culture, of course. Um, it's, it's the same sort of issue. Um, by the way, Peter, there was one positive thing about that Super Bowl and that's that the Pittsburgh Steelers won that Super Bowl in Detroit. So I just have to mention that. Okay. <laughs> well, let, let I, me. I remember that Super Bowl well. Okay. Now you'd so, mentioned a couple um, of other things, touch and uh, touch and and sound. Had do you have you run across any sort of distinctive areas where sound would 
would um, perhaps uh, be of benefit uh, to marketers? Absolutely. Um, sound might be, in a lot of ways, the the cutting edge, um, yeah. the way that could get more marketers than any interested in this. Um, you think of everything that's happening now with artificial intelligence and smart speakers, which are so reliant on smell and – I'm sorry, <laughs> on, on, sound. on sound. I'm still back on smell. <laughs> on sound. And uh, – how and, and a lot of, I know Jason has mentioned to me how a lot of these new devices have been very helpful for him. Um, there also are certain things that um, we we've run across, read about, and we talk a little bit about in the article. Uh, something called sound signatures, where with all the devices using sound now, there is more and more of a need for organizations to try to differentiate themselves themselves by a sound so that when people hear a distinct sound it's it, they think of the organization it's it's tied to that organization so it could just be like a, a, a series of notes that are distinct um, and some of that's been going on for decades you think of um, like Southwest Airlines and the kind of ding ding I, I can't do justice right. to it but um, you mm -hmm. know you're, you're free to move about the cabin and the the phrase that follows that so, uh, or the, the you know chime from Apple um, products when you um, log into a device, a MacBook or something like that. So, it, it's interesting. We hear those, um, and you know we know oh someone is you know doing this. They've just turned their laptop on, or they just got a, an email, a, a text message, or something like that. So we we know those very well as consumers, but yet a lot of organizations. Um, haven't thought of how to use those in a more strategic way, but some are doing it, and there people are writing about it. And again, it's this idea of a sound signature that um, that is becoming more and more uh, prevalent. Yeah, uh, and they, one of the examples that we used in our article is relates to relates to hybrid cars. That um, you know, a lot of times hybrid cars are so quiet that you know, blind blind person walking down the street uh, can't can't always hear them, and so a sound signature. What we were thinking uh, would be able to do is it would not only would it, would it allow uh, you know blind pedestrians to better hear that particular car, but maybe it could have a certain sound that's a little bit more unique than anything else that any other car that you would hear to kind of differentiate itself and uh, promote that brand, uh, you know, to all consumers. And, you know, sighted people oftentimes, you know, they would want, they listen for cars too. I mean, so I think doing something like that, not only would it help blind consumers, but it would differentiate if they could find, you know, really innovative ways to do it, uh, you know, differentiate that particular type of, that particular brand of car, of a hybrid car from others and maybe each one could kind of have you know its own sort of unique sound you know the Chevy Volt could sound slightly different than the Prius uh, or what have you and they that the sound that they would uh, the sound signature that they would let out you know as they would um, pass by would kind of differentiate it and give it its, its own uh, its own way of branding 
Yeah, it, it's kind of just another reason or another avenue for um, marketers to to in, to endear themselves or endear their products to consumers, because just like we like um, um, pleasant smells or vis things that are visually appealing or that feel nice, we also like cool sounds. So if if a car company especially, but you can imagine it for all sorts of companies. If they have a cool sound, then that's just another another um, thing that can be stored in memory to connect us to the brand, but also mm -hmm. a reason, another reason, small reason, but a reason for liking that product. Yeah. Well, I think you guys have made a compelling case, actually, for um, uh, others reaching out not only to uh, the unsighted, as, as we mentioned here, but to other uh, or, or it presents other opportunities for folks to do some some additional marketing as well. You know, with, uh, uh, smell, for instance, uh, unique smells to their particular entity, whether it's a coffee shop or a restaurant or maybe even a clothing store and sound and touch and so forth and so on. So, and the fact that you guys have an opportunity to present this information to large organizations or, or associations that could inculcate this into helping their uh, entities or members do a better job of reaching uh, the the unsighted and perhaps uh, others as well. Yeah, yeah, we we appreciate your encouragement to do that, and uh, that that would be a wonderful thing for us to keep working on. Um, yeah, and it, it's exciting to hear of others' interest in that and seeing the value of that. We really appreciate it. Well, I certainly appreciate uh, both uh, David, both you and uh, Jason for uh, joining me today. And uh, I will, uh, uh, this program will be uploaded to, I think we've got 11 sites that carry us. And uh, we will also send you a copy of it uh, for your files to use, uh, you know, however you see, uh, see, see best. And I certainly like to thank you again for uh, joining the Public Relations Review and again thanking all of the listeners for uh, taking the time to listen. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, Peter. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Great. Have a good day, and, and uh, we'll uh, communicate with you soon. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us.